Bali, what is special about our religion is we don't only give offerings to the gods, but we also give um, offerings to lower spirits, like spirits of lower frequency, lower vibrations. We dance and we make music for the community. We dance and we make music for the gods, you know, and it becomes a service and a devotion. If I would be president of Bali, I would send every year some people to Australia, like some of the teachers to Australia, learn proper English there, come back to Bali, teach the children here proper English. Hey guys, welcome to another episode. My guest today is Purnama Melissa. Purnama is musician, yoga, meditation teacher, photographer, videographer, activist. She's doing it all for her work. Purnama is getting people into sovereignty through the power of music and the wisdom of indigenous rituals, Vedic practices. She offers workshops, events, retreats, sessions, amazing cacao ceremonies that me and Anna have been to and really enjoyed it. As an activist, she is a co-founder of Ruang Berbagi. Hopefully I'm pronouncing it right. It is a women's empowerment community for a local women in Indonesia. She is half Balinese, which is amazing. We'll talk about that today as well. Through her work, she facilitates women's circle, workshops, gatherings, and yoga classes, and distributes educational materials, which is a very noble work because a lot of Balinese women need that help to rise them up and to show them that they are very important. And today we're going to talk about Purnama's incredible journey, learn more about Balinese culture, and listen to her incredible music. Purnama, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And wow, what an introduction. <laughs> I'm very excited. To be honest, I love your voice. Uh, listened to you a couple times. We did a hike together. We, did, we listened to one of your cacao ceremonies that you facilitated. It was amazing. So I'm very excited. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been a journey with my voice. I'm very glad to be here. Very yeah. happy. I would love to talk about it more. Maybe we can start with some with some song to give people a sneak peek of your voice and then go from there. Yeah, sure. Let's go. Let's <laughs> do it. Bad things happen all the time. Good things happen too. It's the balance between the two. The perfect balance between the two. Bad things happen all the time, good things happen too. It's the balance between the two, the needed balance between the two. Shadows in the sun, after night time comes the dawn. It's the way our it runs, our universe's love. We got angels, we got demons. There's the good, there is the evil Flowers blossom and then wither Before spring we in the winter And that's why bad things happen all the time Good things happen too It's the balance between the two The perfect balance between the two Bad things happen all the time Good things happen too Balance between the two, the needed balance between the two. Each 
comes to the scent No cure without the poison Roller-coaster of emotions High like mountains, deep like oceans When we look up the horizon We know bad things happen all the time Good things happen too It's the balance between the two The perfect balance between the two Bad things happen all the time Good things happen too It's the balance between the two The needed balance between the two song oh thank you <laughs> what's the background behind it like how did you how did how did it came to you so i was doing a yoga teacher training here in bali four years ago and uh, one day our altar burned down oh wow yeah probably because of some candles that were on the altar and most people were pretty devastated because we put stuff on the altar that were really important to us like pictures of parents and stuff like that you know And everyone was like really in shock when that happened and like, wow, what's the, like the significance behind it and stuff. And I thought the one thing that I can do is play a soothing song to like, you know, calm the energy. So I took my guitar and this song literally just came through in that moment. I mean, mainly what came through was the chorus and then some of the verses. I worked on it later again, but yeah, so. Wow. Song that just came through. So did it change yeah. the the frequency of the room was that people felt better a little bit yeah a little bit beautiful song. yeah it's like you know just to remind like bad things like ha like accidents and stuff like that it happens it's the law of the universe it cannot always be good we cannot always be high and yes. just to remind ourselves like yeah this is like a shock and it's like you know it's a pretty bad thing to happen but not to be attached to it too much and knowing that good will happen again beautiful love it I'll jump around, but I want to start with your upbringing because I think you have a very unique situation. You have a Swiss father and a Balinese mother, so you're, you have both worlds, Eastern 
and Western. Can you describe a little bit about you growing up? It was pretty challenging. <laughs> it was also very enriching, of course, because I always had, yeah, these two worlds that really brought so much into my life since childhood. But it was also challenging because we moved back and forth. And sometimes I didn't have one parent. Like when we were in Bali, for example, my dad was not around. And I was really missing snow. I was missing Christmas. And then again, when I was in Switzerland, I was missing my grandparents here. Um, and also the school system was really challenging for me. Um, switching from one school system to the other. Because it's just like so different. Like what in Bali they require for discipline. Like it's Indonesia is actually a pretty military, how you say Regime. Regime, yeah. So yes. <laughs> that's also the way that we go to school, you know, like every Monday we have to line up and we have to like sing the hymn of Indonesia and stuff like that. And also in school, like you have to be very disciplined. And then in Switzerland, it was just the opposite. And I, I was definitely standing out in the beginning, like just being like this Asian, like, you know, super disciplined girl in class. Yeah. And everyone else was like super easygoing. But then I, I found my way back. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, we live next to a local school. In mm -hmm. We live in Ubud. And there's like local school. I drink coffee every morning and I look at what they do. And these kids are like five-year-old. They're all like singing and then marching. And I'm like, wow. And my son is just all over the place. He's yeah. just playing <laughs> with toys or going on a bike. He's mm. just no care at all. And I'm like, yeah. wow. Such a big difference just in a way who your parents are, where you are can change mm -hmm. your whole value structure. Yeah, and it's the same with my parents. Like, my mom was very strict in my upbringing, and my dad was always, like, the easygoing one. And, yeah, and it was definitely challenging. Like, being a teenager in Switzerland with, like, a strict Balinese mom, and she was just not used to having a child that was, like, rebellious and, like, going out and drinking, you know, when I was 16. Like, it's just not something that a Balinese girl would do in a village, you know? Yes. And so it was just, like, yeah, we, we, had, we had our rough times <laughs> with each other. Yeah, it's very interesting because I don't know a lot, but I talk to local people and sometimes you see what they go through and you're like, wow, that's so much struggle just by fitting. You need to fit in. You can have tattoos, let's say they're working in a coffee shop and they, they want to have tattoos, but they have like fake tattoos. You're mm -hmm. probably the only local person that I've seen, the, the local woman, because I know the men have tattoos in Bali, but woman there's something around like taboo to even yeah. have like a tattoo and everybody else who who comes here do absolutely like women have this requirement to fit into a specific sp stereotype and like be a good housewife you know like be a good daughter and stuff like that like here it's still a very patriarchal society so men have all the freedom while women don't and also, like, my family, you know, like, telling me, don't do any more tattoos or you're not a Balinese girl anymore. I'm like, what does it have to do with my heritage, you know? It's just... Yes, self-expression. Um, exactly, self-expression. But that's what many women in our society, sadly, um, cannot experience, like, self-expression because it's a requirement to be devoted to your family and to be devoted to your husband. And, wow. yeah, it's still a big thing, still a big subject here. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to one girl as well, and she's saying... She didn't want to get married, but she's like, I'm very afraid I have to live with my mother-in-law her whole life. So because in Bali, when you get married, you go and you move to the community of your husband. 
And I was like, wow, that will be very hard to do. For yes. for anyone in like North America, they'll say, probably not going to marry at all if I have to live with the whole family. Yeah, exactly. You have to live with the whole family. And that's why you don't you don't only marry your husband, you marry your husband's family in that sense. And you give up your own family, you give up your own community in that sense and become part of your husband's family. And uh, what's really hard is when you divorce. Like that's when really the mess happens and when when you don't really belong anywhere anymore because you cannot go back to your own family and you cannot be part of your husband's family anymore. And that's where many Balinese women struggle as well who have divorced. Like it's a big stigma around that. Sometimes even the parents would tell, like the father would tell to their child that the mom has passed away because wow. it's easier to say that than to say that they have divorced, you know? Wow. And yeah. And that's why I do this work for women, like these women's circles, because there's so much to do. There's so much that these women need um, in terms of empowerment and self-expression. And that's really what I'm doing is really just a drop in the ocean. It's really not much, but yeah, yeah, it's a small step. Well, very important step. Yeah. Because I assume when you're born into this value system, you cannot like think in a different way. Because we're talking to this girl and I'm like, why don't you marry somebody who is not from Bali? She's like, no, 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 no. How would I do that? I'm like, well, you can do that. You don't have to live with your mother-in-law. He's like, she's like, well, then I cannot go back. Like, then people will look at me weird. Like, I would never do that. And I'm like, there's a lot of limiting beliefs out there that you always need to follow certain structure. And because your parents impose that on you and they say there's only one way, I think it's very hard to navigate life like that. Yeah, I guess every society has that, right? Yes. Like, yeah, and then it's up to you to to choose to to step out of that. Yeah, my mom always says that she was really lucky to marry my dad, and like being in Switzerland now, like for her, Switzerland is like paradise. You know, like she's free to do whatever she wants. She lives on her own, has like her own apartment. Beautiful. No need to look after anything else, and then. I said like, okay, mom, I'm going to move to Bali. Bye. And she was like, why? <laughs> why would you do that? Why would you go back to Bali where there's just like, you know, that is so much less abundant than Switzerland and where things are challenging. But there's so many beautiful things too. Like as we said, as I said in my song, you know, bad things happen all the time, but there's also good things. And there's so many beautiful things that I also find in the community values in Bali. Yes. Like, of course, you have to live with your mother-in-law sometimes it's challenging but also there's things to learn in that like there's things to learn when you surrender and when you instead of you know running away from responsibilities you face them and yeah i think it's very beautiful that people like you who experience that there's other parts of the world coming back and empowering others because they can look at you and see okay if i'll tell them they'll be like what is this expat no he knows nothing he wasn't raised like us but you are from here so coming from you is completely different i think mm -hmm. that's an important work more and more people should do thank you so kudos to that i know you traveled a lot as well yeah. so you've been to many places how does the traveling start it started because i never really felt home in switzerland like I always felt like an alien ever yeah also also in Bali growing up because I always like I was neither full fully Swiss and neither fully Balinese and so the traveling was like a way to find myself and who am I what are my roots where do I really belong and so I went to France at first because it was like closest to Switzerland it had the sea yeah 
But then from there, I went to South America. And I actually was going to study in South America. I went there for a study exchange year. But then I realized that, oh, I actually don't want to do business. I went to business school in Switzerland, dropped out, and then became an artist on the way. Yeah. What was your thinking process like? Uh, how did you came from business to an art? Was there some catalyst to that? So I went to business school because I thought that's how I can make change. I thought that's where I can learn. Like I took courses like corporate social responsibility and stuff like that. I thought, oh, maybe I can like work in an NGO. But then the more that I learned about our world and how everything is built and about the system and capitalism, the more I realized, wow, it's actually the system that is fucked up. So no matter what I do, if I become part of the system, I cannot do much. And I became really depressed. And then when I went to Argentina and I was trying to go to university there, but it was just... Yeah, I didn't align with anything that they were teaching. And so I just decided to drop out. And the moment that I did that, it was like a big stone just fell from my heart. And Argentina, or better said, Buenos Aires, is like this bustling metropole that is full of artists and full of musicians. And so I just started to hang out more and more with artists, with musicians, starting to learn an alternative way of life, which in Switzerland you don't really get to see because Switzerland is a very... Let's say a bit stuck up society. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's not many saying. artists in Switzerland. Yeah. And if there are artists, they're like they're like an elite, you know? They're like it's really hard to reach them. But in Buenos Aires it was like, you know, open door, like you can just hang out and yeah, so still after a few months in living in the city, I still felt like what am I really doing? You know, I wasn't really doing anything. I was just partying all the time. Yeah. <laughs> In the well. Ciudad de Furia. But it was getting too much at some point. And so I realized, okay, I cannot stay here. I, I'm going to go and travel. And then I traveled to Peru, Bolivia, Chile, and lived in the jungle in the Amazon. And that's when I discovered plant medicine as well. And it was the moment when I, when I was living in the jungle, working with plant medicine, uh, living with people who were living very close to indigenous values that I realized like, wow. Balinese religion or Balinese spirituality makes a lot of sense. Like suddenly everything started to make sense to me because up until that point, I was an atheist. And every time when I would come to Bali and I would go to the temples, even my grandfather would tell me like, what is your religion? Like, what do you really believe in? And I said, I don't know. You know, up until that point, I didn't know. Yeah. It was, it required me to travel to the other end of the world and live in a jungle in the opposite end of the world to really see the values and the sense in in the balinese religion yeah so what changed in the jungle in your plant medicine experience what did you see to make you believe in higher power let's say um i started to see the divine in everything because before um during my teenage years in switzerland i had to go to a uh, church because my grandfather in Switzerland is also, like both my grandfathers from both sides are very religious. Um, my Balinese grandfather is a priest and my Swiss grandfather is a Protestant. If I, how do you say Protestant? Yeah. Yeah, Christian Protestant. Um, so I had to go to those Bible studies and it was like this God that, you know, sits up in the cloud and judges you and you go to hell if you don't do this or that. And I just, I never really aligned with that. Like it didn't make sense to me. 
So I decided to just say no to everything that has to do with religion. Because on the other side in Bali, I was taught something completely different. That there's like a million different gods and goddesses. And I was just utterly confused. But then when I was living in the jungle and living so close to source and living in the heart, you know, and we had we had no walls, we had no mirrors, no clocks, no electricity, nothing. You're just with source. And that's when I started to see the beauty that lies in everything and the perfection that lies in everything. And especially plant medicine was like the main catalyst that made me see like how divinely orchestrated the whole world is. And that's when you just cannot deny it anymore that there's like that there's something, that there's a common source that we all emerge from, that everything emerges from and that penetrates everything, that is inside every every single leaf, every single insect, every single human being. And then I was like, oh, wow, that's why we have a million gods in, in Hinduism, because, yeah. <laughs> yeah, everything is divine. It's a beautiful Balinese, it's beautiful. Religion is beautiful, ceremonies. Yeah. They spend lots of time, actually, probably most of the time of their life, they spend in ceremonies, praying and mm-hmm. giving offerings to the gods. They're very devoted, yeah. It's a very devotional philosophy. And you know, the offerings started to make sense to me. I was like, oh, that's why we give offerings every day. Let's talk about that for people. Yeah. (laughs) For people who don't know, because some people are from Bali. Yeah. Uh, Why why is that? Why why do they give offerings every day, right? Every morning. Mm -hmm. They start with offerings, putting some uh, flowers, making some basket from the bamboo. Exactly. Bamboo. Yeah, it's uh, it's leaves, so co- uh, coconut leaves. Coconut we leaf. also use use bam- bamboos. Uh, yeah, bamboo. But the first thing that we do when we cook in the morning, we don't eat the food, but we serve it to the spirits. Um, it's because we believe, and I think a lot of people who have come to Bali feel it too, that um, the veil between the worlds is very thin here, between the spirit world and between the physical world. We call it sakala and niskala in Balinese. And so the first food that we make, before we eat it, we serve it as small offerings on banana leaves. Yeah. And yeah, and that's just to, to acknowledge the spirit and like to create balance and like, hey, I know that you're here. Here's some offerings for you. And then we also have the floral offerings that you mentioned that are made out of coconut leaves with some beautiful flowers. That's so like the colors of the rainbow. And they're also given to the spirits. And so in Bali, what is special about our religion is we don't only give offerings to the gods, but we also give um, offerings to lower spirits, like spirits of lower frequency, lower vibrations. It's because it's the balance, right? Like that's what Balinese philosophy is all about. It's about creating balance and acknowledging both sides, acknowledging the light and acknowledging the dark. Yeah. Because we believe if we don't acknowledge the dark spirits, if we don't give them offerings, then, you know, that's when they start to take over. That's when they start to act up and like, hey, you forgot about me. Yeah. Because in the end, it all belongs to the universe anyway. Like the universe is all of that. The yeah. universe is dark and is light. Beautiful. Yeah. I mean, to me, what fascinating is that I guess most of those people never tried plant medicine. So, but innately they know that there's more to the life so they all believe in it and uh, they somehow they do communicate without this magical tool they do communicate with spirits all the time for generations and young people and old people they all do it and i could see they do it completely genuinely Mm -hmm. which to me is 
very interesting because there's lots of unknowns, but you have this belief this is true. Exactly. Hard for me for to get because it's like I've never seen a God, let's say. It's hard for me to believe in God. This is mm-hmm. what most people view on religion and spiritualities. When you try plant medicine, you see, wow, there's something else. I'm, I'm in a different realm. There's probably more to life than that. Then I can say, okay, I probably feel that there's a source in multiple dimensions. Mm-hmm. But Balinese people never did that. How do they still connect? You know, I feel that in the Western society, our mind starts to cloud up from all of the conditioning, you know, like we're conditioned to believe in, in like a God that punishes. We're conditioned to believe in like capitalism and consumerism. Like all our life just becomes about consuming, consuming, consuming. And we forget about praying. We forget about community and stuff like that. And in Bali, Balinese people don't have that conditioning. You know, we grow up with community. We grow up with spirituality. And so we don't need that reminder, I think, of that plant medicine has to give to other people sometimes like what happened to me when I went back to Switzerland and lived there as a teenager and then like all of this conditioning started to happen you know and then I got lost and confused yeah and then took you a while to get to get back to, took you to <laughs> took you to go to Amazon jungle exactly I just needed back. to step away from everything and, and then and you get decided, a gentle reminder then you decided to go back to Bali yep I first went to Switzerland again after that but yeah, the message was very clear. Like the message that I received was go back to Bali. That's where you belong. That's where your roots are. That's where your work is. But I went back to Switzerland and I tried to go to uni again. I tried to go for one semester. It didn't work at all. I just became depressed again. And that's that was when I really realized like, okay, I really cannot do what society wants me to do. Like I really tried. And that was like my way of showing my family and showing my friends like, hey, I'm really trying to be part of your life, but you, you see, I'm just getting sick. It, yeah. It's making me sick. Wow. So, yeah. And then I spent the last six months just um, completely getting out of my life in Switzerland, selling everything. I went to Morocco, learned how to play the guitar in Morocco in the meantime. Oh, wow. And then went to Bali and I've been here ever since. Wow. Morocco. Let's talk about that. How did you decide to play guitar? So I, w- I went to Morocco. It was part of our uni of our study trip. So I booked my flight because of uni. But then I never went with my classmates at <laughs> all. You know, like I never saw them while we were in Morocco. Like they did their business trip and I did like my own study trip yeah. in my own sense. So I met all these amazing musicians, you know, and like Morocco or Africa better in that sense. Africans have like this this way just as Balinese grow up with spirituality and with devotion, Africans grow up with music. Yeah. So they have it in their blood, you know, like you just, you can give anyone a drum, put, put a drum in their hands and they're like able to like put out a beat and you know, it's groovy. It's amazing. Yeah. And I was so fascinated by that. I was like, wow, like these, these people have rhythm in their blood. And yeah, I decided to stay longer. I was going to stay for two months. I stayed three months in total met a cool bunch of cool people started to learn how to jam started to learn how to play guitar and that was really my second catalyst into the world of music the first time was in the amazon okay when i was living with in the community and the second time was there in morocco wow then you moved to bali how was it moving to bali back home without 
selling everything without any baggage you just just move back that was also challenging because my family was like what are you doing here you know <laughs> like my mom was like okay when are you going to start to make money and my family was like when are you going to start to work you know are you just gonna like hang out at home all the time because that's what i did you know yeah and like basically my plan was to come to bali and just relax and just you know because i had like i was working my whole life i was working since i was 14 yeah um, to provide for myself. I was working full-time besides studying. I was paying everything myself, you know, all my bills. So I was like, I just need, like, yeah. I just want to arrive, you know, like, just give me some time. But yeah, my family was not having it. They were, like, pushing me. And now, in retrospect, I think I should not have lived with my family, but, you know, find my own space. But I was still in my scarcity mindset yeah. back then. And I was like, no, I have to save money, so I better just stay here. And uh, it was was challenging. I think the first year back in Bali, I was really trying to find, like, what am I really doing here? Like, do I want to be a yoga teacher? Do I want to teach children? I was doing everything. I was teaching children some English, some yoga. I was teaching yoga at retreats. I was doing music at open mics. So the music started to come through, but it was not my main focus back then. Like, yeah. I was just... Yeah, trying to find my way. Wow. How did you find your way? Music just became a more and more prominent part. Because each time when I would, you know, when I would finish a yoga class, no matter where, like if in the kindergarten or somewhere else, I would finish with a song. And that's the part that people love the most when I was singing, you know? Yeah, I could <laughs> <And> also, see that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also realizing that there's already a lot of yoga teachers in Bali. Yeah. And... Also realizing, you know, the parts that drain me. Like, I think a big part of it, of finding what my passion is, is finding out what's not my passion, you know, finding out what is draining and where I feel worse after a job than before. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm not gonna gonna do more of this, you know. And music is just always that kind of work that I don't really see as work. You know, it's just, it's, it brings me so much joy. It brings people joy that I bring it to. And also me becoming better and better at it. I was able to be more and more of service and create beautiful vibrations, positive vibrations through my music. And then me also feeling nourished after that. And that was like, okay, I think this is my dharma. <laughs> I think this is what I have to do. For sure. For sure. I mean, you definitely found yourself. And I completely resonate that if you're finding the right path, then after you're doing certain work, I don't know if we call it work, like podcasting, let's say, after I do a podcast, I always feel better. I feel like I don't feel tired. I feel more excited. And I think that's how you need to feel. But most people come from work like, oh, I want to just lie and watch TV because I'm so tired. But in reality, if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, you actually feel better after doing it, not not tired. Exactly. You feel like you've done your deed to the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. I feel that we all have that. Like we all have something that we can give and that creates a more beautiful space. But yeah, it's just with music, the thing is that it doesn't really pay in the beginning, you know? <laughs> you, yeah. you, you don't really make money in the beginning. And so... I really postponed it for a long time. Like I knew it was my path. I knew it was my dharma, but it took me years to like fully commit to music. And I think I only started to fully commit to music like this summer. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So does it pay now? Are you? Yes. Okay. Now it does. Perfect. <laughs> so 
yeah. Because that's a fear that many people have, right? I'm going to do something. One of the biggest challenges to artists I see that they, they are afraid that they won't going to be paid for their art. Definitely a problem. There are many artists who are not paid. But uh, with examples like yours, it means that if you're dedicated and you're off service and you're doing it from pure heart, then it will come anyway. Absolutely. Absolutely. Beautiful. I mean, it's a good time for a song, I think. <laughs> what do you think? Okay. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. <laughs>
Definitely one of my favorite songs, especially yeah, on on those ceremonies and on cacao ceremonies that we've been to, and they were singing it loud and full power. Yeah, that's magic. Mm. It's a medicine. Thank you so much. <laughs> We are the medicine. Yes. So let's talk about that actually, um, because people say it a lot. Music is medicine. People are their own medicine. How do you see that? Like, what's what's your interpretation? So I think that as human beings, you know, inherently, we are made to come together and celebrate and have joy and have ceremonies and stuff like that. But in modern society, like it has become something that, you know, only a few people are able to do, or, um, like we limit it on the weekends. But I think that every day is a ceremony and every day is a celebration and. You know, music has just the power to soothe or to find ways to express your feelings. You know, like I remember, like how many times when I was a teenager and I felt like no one understood me and I was really angry at the world, and there were songs that expressed that anger or expressed the sadness that I was feeling, and I felt less alone. Or also the power of kirtan. You know, kirtan is um, music where mantras are sung. Over and over again, like repeatedly, and it puts us into a state of meditation. So, especially for people who, for who it's really hard to meditate, like for me, I have a monkey mind. You know, I have ADHD, so for me, meditating is like really hard. But singing mantras is one of the things that puts my mind to ease and、um, that just stops the thinking. You know, and you just come into a state of flow and of joy. And especially when you do it with other people, like there's no more beautiful thing than to make music with other people, because when you make music, you cannot really think about other things. Like you have to be so focused on hitting the right notes, you know.、Um, especially when you sing with other people. So I think if more people would be musicians and if more people would be singers, imagine like what a world that would be if we would come together, and instead of gossiping or instead of watching TV, we would make music. And it puts us into a state of oneness with the universe because music has a higher vibration than speaking, for example, or than anything else. Like you know it when you, for example, put water. Like maybe you've seen like videos like that on YouTube with water that is exposed to frequencies of like, for example, sound poles, and it creates like these beautiful structures. And that's the effect that. These higher vibrations of music has on us, like music that is about healing, that is about medicine, can really restructure the water in our bodies because we're seventy percent water and create healing.、Yes. So I believe that music is the future of healing. And it's also 
the past as well. That's where we came from. There was no TVs. Exactly. How do people yes. entertain themselves? <laughs> they were sitting next to the fire yes. and singing songs. Exactly. And we would dance, you know, like we would dance under the moonlight. And I feel back then our ancestors really felt this oneness with nature and with all, all there is and with the universe. Because like you said, there was no TV. Like, yeah. We would just gather around the fire and tell stories and make music. That's the way to go. Yeah. So y you mentioned before about clouded minds, which is something that I feel strongly about as well. And one of my visions for the podcast is to wake up souls. I think that people are just asleep. They're living their life just going without being conscious. So I think the music, same as anything that you consume that allows you to see other perspectives or listen to something special makes you wake up and then you ask questions okay she has such a beautiful voice she sings music as a medicine hmm i should think about that maybe mm -hmm. it is maybe she's more music do you feel that your calling is similar to that to make people uncloud their minds absolutely i think that's my purpose with my music because all my lyrics in the end are they're either i either sing about the divine or I sing about you know, overcoming struggles. Because as I said, it's a way to, to feel less alone, you know, when you know like someone else goes through that. And music has like a poetic way of putting it. And then also through the events that I create, like, you know, singing circles and cacao ceremonies, like stuff like that, is to facilitate connection between each other, foster that, and also hoping that I plant some seeds and the people, you know, that come and um, that feel their voice awakened and like starting to feel inspired to make music themselves and like knowing that music is easy, you know, music is not hard. I think in modern education uh, with a lot of classical teachers, you know, we start to think that music is really hard and you need to be a genius to make music and that's so wrong. <laughs> like yeah. everyone can sing and everyone can play a drum, you know, and it's just about practice in the end practice 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 and the more you sing with other people and the more you make music with other people the better you become and the more fun you have yeah we also have this cult of perfection we look yes. at like instagram <laughs> where we see like beyonce singing or whoever is singing they're like no i'm not i'm never gonna mm -hmm. sing because i'm never gonna be as good as that but yeah we try to compare ourselves to other people who go through i don't know 20 years of singing and you're not singing on a stage you can sing at home or you can sing with your friends or you can sing exactly. on instagram but it doesn't matter it's just you exactly yeah and switzerland has has this too like switzerland is a very perfectionist society so there there's not many singers there there's not many musicians there and if there are they're like you know they're like really uh, following like a line trying to be perfect yeah wow and yeah so i i, I also i love going to switzerland and doing events there because i feel like it's so needed there because in bali there's already so many kirtans yeah. and so many that, <laughs> events we're actually talking about that with anna that's like people go here and everybody asks uh, i'm not saying anything about it but it's like i'm a yoga teacher that, that you mentioned that as well and mm -hmm. i'm like if you're a yoga teacher in Bali, would it make more sense to go to like Switzerland, like learn yoga here, but go and bring that there? There's less competition, and also people there are less, let's call it awake, and that you will bring them more value by introducing them something new. Exactly, and also knowing that there's people like you and me everywhere around the world, you know, and you can start to cultivate your own tribe. 
Like, I see a future where instead of everyone coming to Bali and like doing the same things like everyone else, is going to their home countries and, and spreading it out and attracting more and more people. And then we create more bubbles like Bali around the world. Yeah. I think it's very normal. I'm I'm not that kind of person. I left the country that I lived and moved to Canada. So <laughs> from me, it's kind of <laughs> coming in from me will sound very weird, but I appreciate people like yourself. Or I mean, Bali is actually an amazing place. Some people go back to, let's say, Latvia, where I'm from, which mm -hmm. is bad weather and a little more closed. And there make amazing things. Like there's this guy who opened uh, amazing restaurants in Latvia mm -hmm. and he studied somewhere in Switzerland, something like that, and then came back and just opened those there for people, even though if he would open them in other places, he'll have more people eating because they have, like, he can afford it. But I always feel something special about it. It was like heroes to me. I'm not that kind of person. I would uh, open hearts in Bali, but <laughs> for people who do it, I think it's amazing. How does music if in Balinese culture, what, is, what, what role does it play? In Switzerland, it's not very, it's like perfectionism. What, what about Bali? In Bali, music is a big part. Like we grew up with it, you know, like we start really young, like playing in gamelans, you know, we learn it at school. Um, we learn dance since a young age. Um, I learned dance, Balinese dance as well when I was a little girl. So, um, but mainly in Bali, um, I find the thing that, we struggle here is the individualism, you know, because we dance and we make music for the community. We dance and we make music for the gods, you know, and it becomes a service and a devotion. And that's super beautiful. Like, I love that. I love the devotional culture that Bali has. Um, but we could use a little bit individualism, you know, the same way that Western society could use a little bit more community and more being together and like doing yeah. stuff for each other and for God. Uh, in Bali, we could use a little bit more doing stuff for ourselves that bring us pleasure. Because, um, yeah, I find that many Balinese people don't know that, you know, how to do something that just pleases them and themselves. And that is not for community, that is not for the gods. Yeah, I think it's two extremes, like if you think about it. Yes. <laughs> Switzerland is very perfectionist, everything is according to the book. A lot of artists, I assume, because they're very... Yeah. Uh, right brain thinkers mm -hmm. and then Bali is just like ah, the, the time opposite. doesn't matter <laughs> we're all in a clouds and we, we pray and we dance and we have fun but we all do it all together so yeah. it's very individualistic versus another extreme very community based yes it's it's two extremes really and it's like two opposite sides of the spectrum and I think individualism is still like your self-expression is lost in both and one, you sort of don't self-express because everybody's like, what are you doing? You need to be like mm -hmm. everyone else. Stop it. Don't. Yeah. And here, same. It's like, why, why, are you, why are you doing it by yourself? Do it with yeah. us. Exactly. That's, that's very true. Yeah. I think that's something, you know, that every society in the world is struggling with, like finding the balance between both, right? Yes. Between, uh, yeah, the community and the self-expression, like either it's one or the other. Yeah, so far I haven't really found a society yet that has both yeah except this little bubbles that we have around the world like here in bali the bubble that we have in the expat community like that's why i love hanging out with expats in bali you know <laughs> it's actually another good question because you are balinese so you understand the value system and the culture and uh, for yourself you 
were let's call it westernized being in switzerland and you also have this roots in bali for local people who are not westernized how do you think they see the trend where more and more expats are coming here bringing their value systems to bali that's a good question because of course not everyone sees it the same i mean at the moment what i see in bali like the biggest thing that concerns me is many balinese people just see the dollar signs you know they just see like oh western people are coming they want to buy land you know they give us money and like bali is in comparison to other indonesian islands very rich like we have a lot of abundance here in bali and so it is welcomed with open arms but for the wrong reasons yeah you know for reasons that destroy the ecosystems that destroy nature overpopulation you know stuff like that and i would really wish that Balinese people would learn to take care of the island better and to accommodate more to a certain type of tourism like not the tourism that comes here to just do some shopping and stay for a few days and then go back to their home countries but like a tourism that wants to learn from what Bali has to offer because what Bali has to offer is very rich and is very unique yeah because most of indigenous cultures in the world have been colonized, have been erased and here it's still very much alive. And so if we could move into a tourism that is more conscious, like our expat community, you know, like there's so many pages now that make fun of the expat community in Bali and the spiritual community, but I feel like you know the real people we should make fun of or I don't think we should judge anyone too harshly, but Yeah, I mean, the main concern are people that just come to Bali for a few days and drink and shop and then leave again and then I'm like, why do you come to Bali? There's yeah. so many more places in the world where you can do exactly that. And that is probably cleaner in that is easier to navigate because when you come to Bali first, you like if if I would come here just for a week and I don't drink, I would be like I have no idea what to do here. Like if you don't know anyone and you're not into yoga, let's say, and those other things, for I would like, what am I going to do here? But then when you live here and you meet people, you build communities, it's amazing. But if I would be just drinking, there are so many amazing places in Caribbean and Mexico just for that. They have like those hotels, you go, you shop and you drink. So yeah, I don't understand that as well. Exactly. Like when you're European, you know, you don't have to come all the way to Bali to do that. You yes, can just go yes. to Mallorca or yeah. yeah, one of those islands. I feel Bali is really like a place, it's an incubator. It's a place that has a lot to teach and I hope that in the future people who come here come with intention to learn from the land and from the people. And I also feel that local people have such a unique opportunity to meet those amazing expats. Like I'm talking to people who the great things and they all congregate here come here so if they would change their mindset a little bit instead of just short term uh, you need to pay me and i do this, this and that treat it as like teach me mm-hmm. help me to get myself ahead and they would be so much way ahead of whatever they want to do they would get supported they get funded everything and what we see when covid hit everybody left and it was like terrible people didn't have any jobs they didn't know what to do but they could do a lot of cool things here even during covid times if they would have knowledge that expats can give them yeah but i i see the fault here with the government and the education system yeah because the balinese education system is very limiting 
like it doesn't really teach you how to think it teaches you like how to follow because as we said in the beginning it's a very military regime and also that's the way how the school system is like it just teaches you to follow rules and so many balinese people are very obedient they're servers we learn how to serve but we never learn how to think for ourselves and um yeah like i'm shocked when i see the english books of my cousins and it's full of grammatical errors like one page maybe like 20 errors wow so they don't like that's the thing you know if if they would be taught proper english in school already the language barrier would be removed because the main thing is is the language barrier right like if indonesian people if balinese people could speak proper english then already there would be much more unity between yeah. the two two societies here and then i'm wondering you know um indonesia is one of the most corrupt governments in the world and i'm always wondering where does all the money go that expats and tourists pay for their visa on arrivals and their kitas you know kitas is not cheap it's extremely expensive where I does know. the money go <laughs> you know it should go back to the people it should go into the education system they could properly educate the teachers to become good english teachers you know like if i if i would be president of bali i would send every year some people to australia like some of the teachers to australia learn proper english there come back to bali teach the children here proper english update all the english books you know because that's the first thing like if if Balinese children would learn proper English, then we would already be more advanced. Yes, I think the language barrier, you're right, is, is, is a really big problem. And since uh, this island lives on tourism, not knowing English is very strange. But it happens to most of the Southeast Asia. Like if you look, I heard Vietnam, which I'm going to go next week, oh. I'll, I'll tell you, but... <laughs> From what I heard, they don't. They speak even worse English. And Ho Chi Minh yeah. is like hub of finances in, in mm-hmm. Southeast Asia. Same with Bangkok. It's like there's a lot of people who don't speak English. So I think that's like a common problem around the, the Southeast Asia. Yeah, it's corrupt governments yeah. that just take all the money that, you know, the population makes into their pockets and, you know, make nice houses for themselves instead of putting it into the population. Because during covid you know, most Balinese families, like my family, has not seen a cent yeah. from the government. Like <clears throat> we received maybe a bit of rice every two months and some noodles and that's it. Wow. And where does all the money go from all the tourists, yeah. from all those years, all the taxes? Yeah, that's true. Changing a bit of subject, but still on the same one, you speak six languages. Yeah. <laughs> which is crazy. <laughs> so then I have to ask you a question uh, because I speak two and to me, I want to see if you're experiencing the same thing. As soon as I switch languages, I inherit the value system of the place where this language is spoken. And to me, I like I change my, let's say if I speak Russian, I became more introverted because Russia was communist country. I'm not from Russia, so but Latvia was part of USSR. And uh, become more introverted. I become more shy. I inherit like the whole value system and all those things that come with speaking the language. And I, it's, it's just me because you're speaking six different languages. Does that happen to you when you switch between them? You For sp- sure. Okay. For sure. Like I become a different person. <laughs> like it was very funny because when I was spending my summer in Switzerland, another Bali, like friend from Bali, she's Swiss, but we met here in Bali. 
And yeah, we were there together, like speaking Swiss German. She was like, wow, like I never saw this side of you that is like so country, <laughs> like such a country, Swiss country girl, you know, because I had all the vocabulary of like a Swiss country girl yeah. that grows, grows up with cows and, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. like redneck, you could yeah, say yeah, like yeah. Swiss redneck. And she was like, wow, I never saw wow. this side of you that just comes out when I speak Swiss German. And how did you learn all those languages? I love languages. Okay. I really love languages. Like I just love connecting with people. I love cultures. I love learning about other cultures. I've always been interested in that ever since I grew up. And so I just really wanted to learn as much as I can. And English, I taught myself with reading books, watching movies. Then I moved to France, moved to Argentina to learn Spanish and French. You learn English yourself. Wow. Yeah. You speak very well, better than me, <laughs> and I learned English in Canada speaking to Canadians. <laughs> wow. I mean, I learned some in school, you know, but like the languages that you learn in school, they limit you, you know, if you want to like properly be able to conversate. And also most people think, I think, I think it's easier than people think to learn languages. Like you just need to get out of your comfort zone and go out to whatever country the language you want to learn and talk as much as you can with other people and don't be afraid to embarrass yourself yeah. and don't be afraid to not find the right grammar like i learned spanish so quick because when i was in south america i decided to not hang out with any other expats but i decided to be as much with latinos as possible and even if i would embarrass myself and not find the words and like have, have to talk around the word because i couldn't find the word yeah so i would just like talk all the way like around it yeah but that's how you learn you know by just putting yourself in that situation and getting through it and then yeah, yeah i guess many people myself including i try to speak basa but <laughs> in the coffee shop in the mornings <laughs> but uh but for me yeah, it's i don't even have a fear it's just some block like if i can't speak english it's so easy so you always choose like an exactly, easy path yeah. exactly yeah most people then switch to the easy one but yeah. you just have to push through if you need to go push by myself to some indonesian <laughs> remote island where i need to get food and i need to ask people for and what really helps is changing your phone to, to oh. the language that you want to learn that's another way of like getting through the discomfort like you know you will look at your phone you'll be like oh shit like i don't understand anything you learn to navigate and you you start to learn the 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 words yeah and what what they have to say beautiful yeah, yeah. i should try that yeah. i don't know if i'm ready for <laughs> indonesian in my in my phone but maybe spanish <laughs> i can I, I can handle um the one thing i was uh, watching one of your presentations on youtube preparing for this and you were talking about the school that you want to open i don't know if it's still oh. <laughs> relevant or not the one for expats who can uh, volunteer there is that still a project oh yeah, of that's, yours? That's, that's definitely it's got to be a project um you know my, my mom she has a guest house that i'm managing at the moment like i live there as well but i know if i ever inherit that it won't be a guest house anymore it will be an educational center um, so it definitely is something that I have in mind, but not for now. Okay. Because for now, like just being a musician and like, you know, recording an album and all of that takes all of my time. Yeah. But like in 20 years, 30 years, 50, who knows? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Then the question about music, how do you see yourself in the next three, four years with your music career progressing? I definitely see myself creating experiences for people around the world as we discussed earlier you know about music as medicine like 
where you can just come and drop your mind, get out of your mind and get into human connection and find the beauty of music, find your voice. Yeah. Beautiful. And your album. So you are recording an album. Exactly. I'm recording my first album right now. I mean, I tried recording an album two years ago, but that was when I was like just starting out as a musician. And so, um, yeah, there were many hurdles, many, many hurdles. You know, when, the, when you're the first time recording in a studio, um, there's so much that you don't know about, like that no one teaches you about. Yeah. And now I've learned. <laughs> okay. And Is now it? I've got all the good songs. Either any launch date that that is set, or is that so um, far? Not really. I'm like definitely. I'm aiming April next year, but I'm also trying to not pressure myself because I found like if I put too much pressure on myself, that's when I tend to break. So yeah, yeah just taking it easy. And are you planning to distribute that in things like Spotify, or is that? Yeah, it's definitely gonna go out into the world. It's gonna go on all the platforms. Love it. Yeah. I'm doing a crowdfunder as well for this one because yeah. it, it's a lot of time. It's a lot of money to put up. Like, Well, let's mention here. So <laughs> there, there's a bunch of those people who can who can uh, help. That would be amazing. So the two songs that you've heard, I Am The Medicine and Balance, are going to go on there. Uh, the album is going to be called Music Medicine. So it's going to be all songs that, yeah, I hope will bring some spark of inspiration and healing to whoever listens to it and i want to teach these songs as well so my plan is also once the songs are out to make some tutorials on youtube so these songs can spread out and be sung awesome. and yeah if you want to contribute to that and you're listening right now just come and visit my website we'll put the link in our show notes and if you can't find it just message me on instagram or <laughs> anywhere I'll, I'll direct you but we'll put the link in the show notes um Yay. There's the last part of the podcast called Rapid Fire Questions. So I have the same questions to every guest. Don't have to be short answer, just uh, the same questions. Deep okay. questions. Uh, for <laughs> the, I should call them deep questions now. Okay. They're deep getting questions. deeper and deeper with, <laughs> with every episode. Um, what are some of your routines that help you to get focused, make your music, maybe morning routines, evening routines? What do you, what do mm -hmm. you usually do? I always start my morning drinking coconut water. Because I think hydration is very important. We are 70% water. So yeah, that's the first thing that I do every morning. I always do my yoga in the morning, meditation. I mean, as I said, I have a monkey mind. I'm not very good at meditating. So I rather do pranayama. Um, that's the thing that really focuses me. And I think it's very important to connect with your body. Yeah, start your day with some embodiment practices. I realize when I don't do that, that's when throughout the day I will feel uncomfortable yeah whenever i skip my embodiment practice my day is not going usually not going well <laughs> okay any nighttime routine that that you follow yeah journaling journaling yeah journaling about the day journaling about my intentions i've started to do manifestation practices because i used to have like a mind that is very focused on the negative you know like also Swiss people, we complain a lot, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just started to do some gratitude practices. Like I find it very helpful to go to sleep in a state of gratitude and like reflecting on the day of what went well, what could be better, but without criticizing myself, like just acknowledging like, yeah, these things 
maybe I can be more attentive, um, have more awareness on them. And just giving gratitude to the people in my life and to myself and to all the things that went well, giving thanks to creation, putting up a candle, doing some prayers before I go to bed, Beautiful. thanking my ancestors. Wow. Yeah. You follow any particular diet? Yeah. Um, I am mostly vegan. I eat fish sometimes because I believe that fish, like meat has some, some of the nut nutrients that, that especially women need because we, we lose blood every every month. So fresh fish from the sea here in Bali, we're very abundant with that. Beautiful. If you could meet younger self, let's say 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I don't know. You, if, if you're too young to have 15 years ago, you know, <laughs> how old are you, then you can choose five years ago. What would you tell her? So 10 years ago, I was 19. Oh my gosh. I would just hug her so hard and be like, you can't imagine all the beautiful things that are going to happen to you. Just hang in there. Just believe. Keep trusting. Awesome. What were some of the beliefs that they used to hold, but you don't hold anymore? It can be again, five years ago, 10 years ago, two years ago. Yeah, like I said, I had like this really strong scarcity mindset. I believe that, you know, life is hard. It's hard to make money. It's hard to survive in this world. And that's why I, I started to do the manifestation practices to release myself from that and to acknowledge the abundance and that the universe always provides, always. Did it change your, did it change? Yeah, absolutely. Like I was, I used to be stingy like years ago, you know, like um, six years ago or something and really, um, really careful about my money like how I spend my money and on what and I would rarely invite other people because I would think like I don't have much and just becoming more gracious with money and becoming more generous and like inviting other people for lunches and dinners and stuff like that and it's beautiful like it's so beautiful to be able to do that yeah I think when you give in the right way not just buying some random stuff you don't need but really yeah. share it with other people then it just comes back. Absolutely. Yeah, beautiful. If you could meet one person who is dead or alive and have chat about anything that you want to chat, uh, who would that be and what would you talk about? That's a hard question, but probably Bob Marley. <laughs> oh, wow. That's unexpected. But I, love I love Bob. He's the best. I love his music. <laughs> what, would you, what would you talk about? I would smoke some ganja with him and just have a jam. <laughs> I wouldn't really talk much. I would just be like, let's jam, Bob. Awesome. Wow. <laughs> Deep question. What do you think happens after we die? So in Balinese belief, we, we think that we go back to source. And after some time, we are reincarnated, either reincarnated or liberated. And we go to, to Nirvana or experience moksha. And I believe in that too. Yeah. I believe that some souls reincarnate on purpose to yeah. yeah come back on earth some people just have to take in more lessons and learn more of life i think yeah because i definitely i can feel that i've been on earth for many many lifetimes yeah <laughs> yeah awesome uh the last question how to live a happy and fulfilled life accept the darkness yeah just know that it's it's impossible to always be happy and to always be joyful waves 
common goal. And I think the key to leading a satisfied and happy life, as you could put, is to accept the darkness in you and in other people and in the world. And accept that life can be hard sometimes. And, you know, things like accidents and death can happen. But to make peace with it. I had a lot of depression. I sp probably I'm still, I would say, you know, still experience depression sometimes. And the thing that has helped me the most, like I tried many, many different things, but the thing that has helped me the most is to accept it and make friends with depression. And knowing that it will pass and also knowing that happiness is a choice. Like you can also choose to just focus on that and focus on all the negative things in your life. Or you can choose to get up, stand up and do the things that you love to do and choose happiness. Beautiful. Well, Pranam, those are all my questions. I'm hoping we can finish with a song, if, <laughs> if you're up for that. But before we do, if we do, how can people find out more about yourself, any of your projects, anything you want to share? I'm very active on Instagram. I post a lot there in my stories. Pranam Melissa. I'll put it on show notes, yeah. <laughs> and on my website. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. So, are we up for a song? What do you think? Sure. Let's make another song. All right. <laughs> um, we're going to end after the song. So, thank you guys for listening. And thank you. Thank you. For thank being you. Here. Thanks so much for having me. It's such right. an honor. Yeah. <laughs> now, let's listen to a song and I'll talk to you guys in the next one. Bye bye. Woohoo. <laughs>
What a blessing to be walking on this earth. Every day an opportunity to learn. Riding the roller coaster of twists and turns. Always coming back, remembering my word. To Mother Earth, I know I can give my concerns. Preparing for the ones that will be giving birth. To yeah, what a blessing to be walking on this earth. Giving thanks to all trees, animals, and birds. Let's raise our hands, give thanks, sing out loud, and dance. Give a praise to Mama Gaia. Let's raise our hands, give thanks, sing out loud, and dance. Give a praise. Pachamama, Mama Gaia. Pachamama, Mama Gaia. Ibu Pertiwi. Dewi bumi, ibu pertiwi.